that just makes my heart so happy. Amen. Momentum Church, y'all are making a difference, just a little difference all around the world. Amen. Amen. We have one of our, our, our missionaries is back today. And so, Teresa Rolls, would you stand for a second? Let's honor Teresa. She's in the house. Love you, Teresa. Amen, amen. She's back for our district council that happens this coming week, and so that's good. Also, if you wouldn't mind, we have a contingency here today. Um, the Orange Conference is a conference that we're really linked with in our, our teaching curriculum for our school, for our kids' church, and, and all of our, our, our young people. And, and, and so the big conference was happening here in Atlanta, and people came from all over the world. There was 700,000 people there. Now, I think I heard like 8,500 people. It's amazing. And some of the most amazing people that were there are actually here today. And so we have a contingency from Austria, Switzerland, and Germany. So if you could stand up, wherever you are, where are you? Where are you? We want to show you guys our appreciation. A lot of them are in all the, there's people, they're all, a lot of them are in our classrooms and stuff with the kids. And, and so it's just awesome to be able to know that you're making a difference um, around the world. Amen. And so we've been looking the last few weeks at a series we've been calling Lifeline. And the idea of Lifeline is that the theology of rescue is weaved all throughout Scripture. Amen? Aren't you thankful that Jesus came looking for you? Amen? I don't know where you were at, but Jesus came looking for you. And when he rescued you, it did something. We saw over the last few weeks that when he rescued you, he reconciled you. That that separation between you and God and between literally you and others can be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Jesus can cover every sin, every wrongdoing. Like Pastor Corey said up here on this stage a few minutes ago, no miracle too small. Nothing that God can't do. Amen? And so we thank the Lord for that reconciliation and that power of Christ to draw us to God. And we've been telling you the whole time that when you get Jesus, you get the Father. And when you get the Father, you get, and when you get the Son, you get heaven. You get everything God has for you, amen? There's just nothing he holds back from us. Part of what he gives to us, we looked at last week, and that's restoration. So he rescues us to reconcile us. He rescues us to restore us, amen? And then today I want to show you that he reconciles or rescues us to release. Everybody say release. release. He rescues us to release us. Man, rescued folk, rescue folk. Amen? It's not just, thank God I'm in the boat. No, there's people all around that need to hear your story. There's people all around that need to know what Jesus has done in rescuing your life. And so I want you to stand to your feet because a rescued life is a released life. Everybody say that. A rescued life is a released life. Say it one more time. A rescued life is a released life. In 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13, it's been our jump off passage. Reading out the message, it says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter into this wide open, spacious life. That's what God's invited us to, amen? Not closed off, not closed off to God, not closed. Do you know God can do things that we can't even imagine? There's things He does sometimes that might seem a little weird. And that's all right. I don't want to be closed off. God, you be God. I don't understand everything. You be who you are. Because you've invited me by rescue. You've brought me into this relationship where there's this wide open, spacious life. 
He says, Paul says to him, we didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes within, from within you. Your lies aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. He goes, I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Man, my challenge to you today is to be able to be a person who will just tell your story. Don't, don't be afraid. A rescued life is one that's lived larger than ever lived before. You have somebody that's been rescued, they'll be quick to tell you, you know what happened to me and look where I've come. God has brought me out, you know. And today we have an opportunity to be able to hear some stories of rescue. It's going to be a powerful day. Not powerful just because we're going to hear stories of rescue as they release their story. It's going to be powerful because by the end of today, some of you came in here didn't think you had a story. And you're going to leave with God initiating a story for you. Touching you in such a way that you can't deny his power, his ability, and who he is. Amen. If you can't tell, I'm a little jack today. I'm a little, it's not, there's water in here today. Oh, it's, 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 it's hundred proof, but there's water in here today. No, it's power, it's, it's fire of the Holy Spirit water. No, I'm teasing. I, I just, oh, God, you're going to do such good things. And I want you to have your seat real quick. I want to read one more passage of scripture. How many know we love the word around here? Amen. And a rescue life is a release life. And Jesus, he modeled this to us. There was nothing about Jesus that was closed. He was very open. He, he, he went to people who most would shut out, you know. That's been a kind of an element of this series as well, you know. And so with it, in John chapter 4, we see the story of the woman at the well. And many of us in this room know the story. And some of us, you've never heard this beautiful story before. And I just want to go into it just a little bit. And then I want you to hear some stories of people here in this house. It says, Jesus left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, when it says that, you have to understand, you have Judea and, and you have Galilee, and to go to Samaria, you, you, don't really, you don't really pass through Samaria to get there, you know? It says he had to. Um, the original language is basically the idea he was compelled to. Like, he, he couldn't help himself. He had to get to Samaria, Samaria. And a good Jew, what they would do is they would walk around it. They, they would literally walk outside over the Jordan River, go up the other side, then come back in. You know? There was no way they wanted to touch foot in Samaria. And it says here that Jesus, he had to pass through. Aren't you glad Jesus had to come to you? He was compelled to reach you. Aren't you glad? Amen. And so here it says, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And it says that Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, he was wearied as he was from his journey. He was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And this woman comes along, and she begins to take care of the, the animals. And she's talking to Jesus about bringing water to his animals and, and their, to, to him. And, and, and with it, this woman, it's been kind of known throughout history, that she most likely was a prostitute. And the reason why was because it's in the middle of the day. It's the heat of the day. Most women would come in the early time or the evening. They would come when it was cooler to get water for their families. But this woman's doing business. Everybody say business. Yeah, yeah. And so she's there doing it kind of like somebody in a, a truck lot, you know, knocking on a trucker's door. God, you know, and the thing about that is, man, there's nobody in that position that want to be in that position, you know. Brokenness has caused that person to be in that position. And so this woman, her nationality is something that the, a, a proper rabbi would never connect with. 
Her brokenness is something that most proper rabbis would never connect with. But he, Jesus, he couldn't help himself because he's, he's the God of rescue. There's not one thing in this room that he wouldn't come after you for or in spite of because he's the God of rescue. And so we see in verse 7, a woman from Samaria, she comes to draw the water. Jesus said to her, give me something to drink. And the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Go down to verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The water that you're offering... But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. There's people in this room today, we need more springs of water welling up. You know? The dryness of your soul, Jesus wants to come and meet that need. Amen? The, 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 the grading in the marriage, Jesus wants to come and meet that need. The struggle in the finances, Jesus wants to come and help you. There's, there's a spring that wants to well up. And, and obviously, it's a saving spring. If you need Jesus in your life, he comes. But man, that spring doesn't just flow to bring salvation. It flows to bring refreshing wherever it touches. That's the God that we serve. Jesus, he comes to bring this. And it says, the woman says, sir, give me this water that I'll never thirst again. You know, and then verse 25, the woman says, I know, I love this, after this dialogue back and forth, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he was called Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus just looks at her and says, I am he, I am the Messiah, I'm what you're looking for. And this woman had been looking for a lot, because they were talking back and forth, and, and Jesus had a prophetic insight and and talk to her about her living condition and are you married and she's like no and he said well you spoke right because you've been married five times and the dude you're with now you're living with doesn't mean Jesus won't put his thumb on some stuff that's wrong in our life amen sometimes we think that when Jesus puts his thumb on something that's wrong in our life that that's condemnation no that's rescue about to happen Come on, somebody. That's rescue about to happen. And so if you're here today, these stories, if you're here today, and the Spirit of God begins to put his thumb on something, just get excited. The well is about to get, get poured out upon you. The spring of life is about to be offered. Rest, shout, rescue's coming. Ah, that's what's going on right here. And so, listen, the woman, she leaves her jar of water, and she goes into town, and she says to the people, come see a man who told me. I said, she said, she said, everybody, she had a story, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out to the town, out of the town, and they were, they were coming to him. And then down in verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What's this food? What's this thing that brings complete satisfaction to Jesus? And I believe it ought to satisfy. It ought to be something the believer holds to. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what's his work? He defines it. You ready? Here's his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. I love this. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. In other words, in the natural, you look around and those fields, they're not ready to be reaped yet. But he's saying, if we will look around, disciples, he said it to his disciples and I say it to his disciples today. If we will look around, whew, the fields are white unto harvest. People need this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need rescued people to rescue people. 
People need, God, they need us to realize that we've been rescued to be released. Amen? And I'm so thankful today as rescue people desiring to rescue people. We need to live like we've been rescued. And you know what part of that is? Just being people that tell our story. Being quick to share our story. That's what it's all about. And over the next few minutes, I want you to hear some stories of some people right here in Momentum. And I want it to increase your faith for what God wants to do in your life today. Twenty-eight years ago, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I just wanted to get away from the life I w was living. I tried to listen in the Army, which I did, and before I could even leave, I got caught up in a robbery and was arrested. The first thing was we moved here, we were in extreme debt. It was um, right before we got married at 20 that uh, I was told I had to have some major surgery. Um, that I was born with three kidneys, and that's not very common. I grew up in a bad neighborhood. The only real male role models, other than my father, that were around me were drug dealers and armed robbers and, you know, just people from the street, the tough guys. Um, there was mafia and, you know, just all types of bad influences that surrounded me on a daily basis. And so I, I started going to high school here in Georgia, and I met a lot of different people, was exposed to a lot of different things from drugs to alcohol, um, girls, and I, I got caught up in that world at a young age. For the most part, it starts off, um, you know, growing up in a Christian home. Um, my parents taught me at a young age what it was to have a relationship with Christ. Um, I distinctly remember going to a concert that my mom had me and my sister attend when I was 13. And during that concert, I gave my life to Christ and said the salvation prayer. Um, but it was really after that that I started to try to really understand what that relationship looked like. Um, but it was difficult when I didn't really have a church home for a really long time. Um, my parents drifted from church to church. We stayed in one church till I was about fifth grade. And then from that point on, we never planted it again. So, you know, God put it on my heart that I, I wasn't trusting him enough in my daily life. I mean, I've always been able to trust God for the big things, but not necessarily for the smaller things. And um, as we moved here, we were in extreme debt. Uh, for me, it was extreme anyway. I'm not, I don't like to be in debt, and we had a lot more than I wanted to have. Um, and there was really no way out. But uh, we came to visit Momentum one night, or one afternoon, and uh, Ross had said that the projector bulb was dying, and he needed somebody to you know, put some money in the plate for the projector. And I was like, you know what? I can do that. <laughs> And uh, it, God struck a nerve there with me. Really, I realized that you know one of the reasons why uh, I was in debt was I was spending money that I didn't have. I wasn't paying attention. I definitely was not tithing. I knew better. I've been a Christian most of my adult life. 
So when, when I first started tithing, you know, it, w it wasn't like all of a sudden there was plenty and uh, I was making ends meet and, and paying my tithes and, and paying extra on the bills and things like that right away. It's not really how it worked out. Um, it also wasn't a case where I won the lottery and it was all good all of a sudden. But little things started happening. Ovarian cancer is not something that people survived back then. Um, my doctor, Dr. Ratchford, wonderful man that he is, that I was led to, told me that I came in, jumped up on his table, and said, hey, I have either cervical or ovarian cancer. I have no recollection of those words coming from my mouth. But he said that he thought I was a nutcase. He decided, I need to get this woman out of my exam room. I think I'm going to send her over and let Piedmont Hospital do an ultrasound on her. So I go back in to his office, and he said, we did find something. I'm shocked. We found something. I said, I knew you would. I don't know why I knew you would, but I knew you would. He said, um, you need to have surgery. Unfortunately, the first available is two to three weeks. And I said, okay, is that a problem? He said, we don't know what we're dealing with. We're going to have to do exploratory surgery on you. And it was then um, that I met a couple who told me about North Point Community Church in Alpharetta. And they said, I think you'd really enjoy it. You should come and um, see whether you like it. So I promised myself when I turned 16 and could start driving, I would start attending North Point. So um, I started going to church um, and I started bringing my siblings. And that's when I decided that I wanted to help out with youth and I got baptized for the first time um, because of those middle schoolers, actually. Um, so many of them were getting baptized that made me want to. And after that first year of college was when um, things started to change for me. It was the first time in my life that um, I experienced some bad sickness. Um, two years from 19 to 20, well, 18 to 20, where I started getting sick all the time. I got the opportunity to change careers slightly. Um, I, I was able to go into the sales side of my profession, and this job kind of dropped out of nowhere. The really cool thing about it was it was a very large increase in my salary, which I wasn't expecting. I had no idea this would ever happen because I thought I was maxed out in my field. And we had just had Patrick, so Patrick, was an infant at this time. So it was one of these things where, hey, you know what? Your wife's gonna be a homemaker now and she's gonna take care of the kids for a little while. And uh, so with Patrick, we were like, this is gonna be great. She's gonna be able to you know, spend time with him. But then we didn't realize you know, later on that the fact that she wasn't working meant that I would have somebody to take care of me when I needed it. I felt like there was a God. I just didn't know who he was. I didn't know whether it was Catholicism or Christianity or Islam or Buddhist or, or, or whatnot. So I continued down, down the path following all these negative influences that deep down inside I knew they weren't right. But deep down inside I didn't know what other way to go. I didn't know what felt right or what is supposed to feel right or what right feels like. Um, I continued to use drugs. I started even selling drugs. Uh, I started getting into guns and I actually started to get into robbing, and that was actually one of the things for me that was 
that I felt started actually tearing me apart as a person or really eating at my soul. I got to a point where I even tried to commit suicide. I put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger without hesitation, and nothing even came out. It was cocked and loaded. And I remember weeping and crying after that happened. I continued on the path that I was going, and I just wanted to get away from the life I was living. So um, it was hard going through the doctor's visits, hearing about how they had to reconstruct me, and really trying to understand why God would let something like that happen to me. And after those two years of being with the doctors, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with doctors. I'm going to start living my life. And so I did. I went back to school. We got pregnant with my son, Tristan, who's now almost eight. Um, and it was good for a while. My body did what it was supposed to. Um, then Tristan turned about a year old, and I got sick, really sick. And I went back into the hospital for um, it was three days this time. Did not have to do with my kidneys, believe it or not. Um, this time they thought I might have a staph infection. And I remember sitting in the hospital room in isolation thinking, I might die and I have a one-year-old. And that's when I really had to surrender. I told God, I will do what Ever I have to, I will start living my life differently for him. If I could just make it out of that hospital. And two days later, after being in isolation, they came back and told me that I had cellulitis and I could go home. First time ever I'd sent Tristan away. Um, came out of the hospital, ended up with more sickness, believe it or not, from the hospital. And again, I'm going back to God, why? Why so much suffering? I remember I would sit in my room and read Job just to feel better. When I got home, there was a phone call from Dr. Rashford. The people who had the, the surgical room that I needed had canceled all of a sudden. So he said, make your affairs in order for your children, for your job, and come back. On Friday, we have to rush this. And he said, said to me before I went under, he said, no, we don't know what we're gonna find. Are you going to be okay if we have to do a full hysterectomy? He said, you won't be able to have children again. I said, well, I have two. My husband has two from a previous marriage. We should be okay, it's, it's okay. And he said, uh, but what if it's something really bad? What consent are you giving me? And I said, I am giving you consent to take anything that I can live without. So then I know that I woke up at some point during recovery because Roy, my husband, was crying. And I, I just a minute. And he's like, I, I, I don't know if you're going to be okay. It's kind of what happened next was about a year ago, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage three lung cancer definitely didn't see that coming. I was running 20 to 50 miles a week, uh, prepping for mar marathons. I didn't have any symptoms. I got the flu and 
and through getting the flu, I ended up in the hospital and they took a, a scan. It was a, a, a large tumor, which they didn't know was a tumor at the time. It took a little while for them to figure that out. But uh, um, by the grace of God, I was uh, young and healthy enough for them to operate and they removed most of my right lung. to the next day and um, there was a, do a new doctor sitting at the end of the bed and his name was Dr. Benigno and he introduced himself as my oncologist so I knew I was in trouble. Okay, I have now an oncologist and he said, are you a fighter? I said, yes, I'm a fighter. He said, I think I knew, knew that from watching you sleep and um, he said, I'll, I want to see how you heal but I think you need to begin chemo in two weeks. We were just going to have the talk about whether we should have another kid or not. And it was after Eli that, um, I don't know what happened. The pregnancy went well and my body didn't function well again. Eight months after Eli, I dealt with pain in my back from my kidney all over again. The first surgery never worked. My kidney was in failure and I had to have emergency surgery. This time with a two and a half year old and a baby. A lot bigger risks, a um, lot bigger faith in that one. I remember crying that day saying, why would he let this happen to me all over again? But with bigger risks. And it was about two months later that I had to get the surgery. And at this point, um, just beginning at Momentum. And I remember my small group coming around me and praying for me. And Pastor Ross coming to the hospital the day of my surgery at five o'clock in the morning and praying over me. And I remember thinking, if this is it, I'll be okay. But God didn't say it was it. Obviously, I'm still sitting here today but I knew I was living too fast. I knew that the way I was living, I was gonna end up either in jail or dead. And I was, it was more leaning toward dead. So I prayed to God that night for him to please help me because I didn't know how to stop what I was doing. I was angry, I, was, I didn't know who I was, I was insecure and confused. The very next morning I wake up to police kicking my door in and it just ate at me. And uh, again, in my cell, eight by six, on my knees, I, I cried out to God and I said, please help me because I don't know what I've done. I don't know where I'm going. I know that the way I was living isn't really me because that's not what was really in my heart. And I felt like at that moment, he, re he embraced me. I felt it, and it's something that I'll never forget. I actually felt him, like, hold me. And I felt like everything was going to be okay. I never really had this whole thing of why me. And it's not because I'm special or anything like that. I think it has everything to do with the preparation that I've been making by, by staying in God's Word and, and committing you know, my life more to Him. You know, tithing's part of that. That's one of the reasons why I brought that up, is that, um, you know, focusing on doing the things that God tells us to do put us in more of a mindset uh, toward him and uh, you know getting diagnosed with uh, you know, terminal illness 
is, is a shock. And I definitely went through a shock there. It wasn't that it was just, okay, I got a terminal illness, God will take care of it. Um, it took a little while for me to, to get over the shock. But then a peace came over me. And it was more, I'm with you. And uh, that's the big difference for me just understanding that, you know, hey, you know, this is, this could take a long time to get over, and I might not get over it. You never know what God's got in mind for this, but I've never felt closer to Him, and I've never had more peace and more joy in my life. And then Dr. Ratchford came in, and he said, this is a miracle. I'm like, how do you get that it's a miracle? I have cancer. And he's, he said, Susan, only God could be with you and be with me. He said, you were in the right place at the right time. You forced me to listen. Dr. Benigno, when I opened you up on the table, Dr. Benigno was 10 minutes away. He was able to come and see the extensive amount of work that we were gonna need to do to save your life. He said, God was with you, God was with me. I'm still alive today, I'm still functioning. God provided doctors that could be there for me, but most of all, he provided a church a home of family that came beside me during that time. I've been infection free for almost four years now. It's been great. God's changed that um, for me quite a bit. Um, so much so that not this past February, but two Februarys ago, um, he called me to go on the mission trip to Haiti. And I distinctly remember him calling me because it was during worship. And he said, um, you're gonna go on that trip. And I said, haha, no. I have two kids and a husband and I, uh, yeah, not me. But I obeyed and I said, okay, Lord, I'll trust you again. And that trip was the coolest trip that I've been on um, because not only did I surrender my life during my sickness time, but surrendering my life to God during um, a mission trip is completely different. So I began to seek. I didn't exactly know where I was going. I began to read different books, self-help books, to the Quran, to books on Buddha and Hinduism and Christianity and Catholicism, just on my own. Um, and that's what I would do all day long. I ended up going through prison, getting my degree in theology. I continued to try to help those around me in the chaotic environment that I was in on a daily basis. I know I came out a better man than I was before. He blessed me with a beautiful wife and children, and without them, I don't, thank God, I really don't know where I'd be. But I prayed every day. In the shower, I would pray. During chemo, I would pray. And I would say, God, please, I just want to, I don't want someone else's memories to be put into my children. I want them to remember me for who I am. And look, today, 28 years later, I've watched my kids grow, marry, have their own children. I now get to see my grandchildren. Who could ask for more than that? It was just an incredible, incredible experience. I have, like I said, been cancer-free for 28 years. I didn't have control over what was going to happen on the other side. Um, everything was based on faith, really. You know, we can't see God, per se, visually all the time, um, but we can feel God, and we can feel Him when He puts His hand on us, and when He walks us through those really tough times, 
comes on the other end of those times. That's the neat part. Um, sometimes we don't know that God to begin with, but we can know that God when we surrender our lives to him and relinquish that control. And it was by me relinquishing control both times that I was able to see him in very big ways. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, the cancer, you know, the cancer diagnosis is almost like a capstone lesson on the, hey, don't worry, because I, mean, I still worry. And I think everybody worries a little bit, but it's not an obsession anymore. It's not something that occupies my life. And I am able to go through my life day to day with a joy and peace that I've never had before. How can you do that when you're, you know, you have serious illness and when you're going through chemo and radiation and feel terrible half the time. I, I can't tell you how. I mean, other than it's Jesus. And I stand here now as a testament to God's grace and mercy, because without God, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't even be breathing. But that is my story in a nutshell, and I'm just very happy to be here to tell you about it. We've got some praise in here, amen. <laughs> Let's stand and give God some honor. He is faithful. Faithful, faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh. You can have your seat as Susan said, that is my story, and I'm happy to tell you about it. Listen, in John 4:39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Let me say it one more time, and I want you to shout testimony. Because they're in that town, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What is that? That's a story, y'all. That's a story. That, that, that's what a testimony is. It's a story. And here's what he said. She, she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And so she was that rescued one that began to just with her own testimony throughout a lifeline of rescue to her community, and next thing you know, that community grabbed onto that lifeline and, and began to walk toward reconciliation and restoration with Jesus for themselves. Do you see that? How powerful. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves that he's a savior. We've heard for ourselves that he's a deliverer. We've heard for ourselves that he's a still a miracle working God. We've heard for ourselves. Man, we know that this is indeed the rescuer. I told you from week one, that word salvation literally can mean rescue. The rescuer of the world. We know for ourselves that he is that. And so I just want to declare that rescued lives are released lives. That we ought to live larger than we would have lived before we were rescued. And part of living large is living loud. Amen? Part of living large is just being one that is looking for an opportunity to declare who Jesus is. My mother is just a sweet little simple Kentucky mama. And she would just at times say, my Jesus. 
when she would say, my Jesus, and then begin to tell what God had done for her, hearts just opened wide. That little simple Kentucky mama with a big old higher hair, I mean, her hair was high and lifted up, and, and Aquanet filled the temple. But when mother would begin to just talk about Jesus, you just couldn't help but listen. I grew up around that environment. I'm not the only one that grew up around that environment. You guys ready? Susan, that was there in the video, said she was cancer-free for 28 years. Do you realize both of her kids worked for the Lord in ministry? Do you realize that one of her kids is Pastor Brantley Johnson? Well, you didn't know that, did you? Aren't you glad that a story told changes the next generation? And I met Pastor Brantley when he was 19 years old, and he was jacked on Jesus right then. I mean, he was just instantly amped. He was just ready to go. I mean, because he'd been raised by a woman who told her story, you know? Jessica, she experienced that healing in her body, and she went on the Haiti missions trip. I was with her on that trip, and she took a pretty serious hike up a mountain carrying rice to go to a village, and it was amazing to watch. And the biggest part of it was so neat was her being shocked about her own body. You can just see it the whole trip. I can't believe I'm doing this. The whole way up, the whole way down. It was just a, every step a declaration that Jesus rescues to the uttermost. Every step. Nick, my brother, guy's 11 years spent in prison. 11 years as a young man. Just got out last June. I took him on a hiking trip and had to write a letter to the Poro officer boy is still on paper couldn't be more proud while he was in prison he realized rescue people rescue people so he didn't just figure out some side hustle in prison when he was in prison he went and got his theological degree when he was in prison he began to train so he could teach and person after person after person his job in prison I mean, there's lots of good jobs, but his job in prison was helping guys be able to learn and pass and get through their GED. So countless men thanking him for getting them through. Amen? Why? Because a rescue life is a release life. And Nick had a heart even in prison to make a difference. And now he's on this side of those bars, and he still has a heart to make a difference. Amen? Sam, I've known Sam for years. And it, 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 it didn't surprise me Sam led into his testimony with tithing. That was one of the biggest shocks of his life. I can remember we were doing a service project and we're painting a fence together one time. And he just starts to talk to me. I never understood the whole idea of tithing like I do now. And, and he just talked about the joy it's brought. So when he started facing adversity, he'd already trained his spirit to know I'm putting God first. It doesn't matter how hard it is. And it just didn't surprise me how he's faced, literally with Sam going through it. We've actually had to go, Sam, we want you to stay around, buddy. There's just times where he's so at peace with what God, whatever God's going to do, it's, I'm fine. You know, we're ready to pray the prayer of faith, believe in the name of Jesus. You know, we're going to fight. He wants to fight too. I get it. But he's just so settled in his heart that God is good. No matter what I'm facing, God is good. And there's inspiration there. And so rescue lives, my friends, there are lives that are released to make a difference in other people's lives. And every person in the church, I tell you so often, how many ministers of the gospel do we have at Momentum Church? Today we'll have about 450 ministers of the gospel at Momentum Church today. Because every one of us has a story to tell, amen? That's really all that evangelism is. 
evangelism is, is the idea of an angel that tells a good message, a new news, a, a gospel news, the evangelion. That's, that, it's this idea of an, an angelic being or an angelic messenger sharing the good word, the good news. And God chooses you to be that angel, that messenger of his word, his evangelion, his evangelist. But that sounds scary. Evangelist? I don't have big enough hair to be an evangelist. You know? No. Listen, you're a messenger of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he has done in your life. That's all you're required to do. Never underestimate the power of your story. A friend of mine, Dennis, his mom and daddy are here right now, Sharon and, and Mel. And Dennis, he's a young man. He's, well, he's probably about 50, 52, and he's going through cancer and been ministering to Dennis. And Dennis needs Jesus, you know. Knows the Lord. He's a young man, but he's kind of fallen away. And, and as we got to talk with him, I wanted to tell him from the word what Jesus means, you know. And as we're talking, I could just see tension. The first time I met him, just tension. We're in a booth together, and, and um, he ends up, it was funny, because dad ends up kind of introducing us, and then dad leaves. Jerk. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so dad leaves, and so it's just me and my new friend Dennis, and, and, and I can tell there's that, that tension, you know. Mom's got the preacher here to get me to change my life. And he's a good man. You know, it's hard sometimes to reach good men. Amen. He's a good man. And so as I'm sitting with him, I can feel that tension. And I don't know, I've never done this in my whole ministry. And I just was like, I had my, my Bible there, you know. And, and, and I don't know, I had already had it out. You know, I don't know why. I just brought it there and I was sitting in. And I was like, tell me where you're at in your faith continuum. You know, atheist, agnostic, believer, hairsprayed evangelist. You know, I didn't quite add that last one. But where are you at? And as we talked, you know, I, I could realize that right now where he's at, he's not so sure about this. And I don't know why I did this. I've never done this before in my whole ministry. I said, well, you know what? I'm going to put this away because we don't really need this right now. Which, that's crazy because how many know I believe in the Word of God? I do. But I'm like, this here, I just want to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And, dude, it was the coolest thing. As soon as I did that, that guy kicked sideways, kicked his feet up in the booth, and just got casual and we just enjoyed talking and I declared Jesus and the word of Jesus over and over and over over about an hour, an hour and a half and I'm praying for my brother Dennis to come to the knowledge of Jesus for himself. I'm praying for him to be healed of his cancer and to find victory in that, amen? And so if you would join your hearts with my, myself and his mama Sharon and, and uh, but it was just one of those moments when I realized and I told my staff, I was like, guys I want to do a sermon where we see people's stories and realize that's what evangelism is obviously the word we want to put the word into our story because the word changes our lives amen but look, some of the folk out there don't believe in that word anymore they can't deny your story and what jesus has done and so never underestimate the power of your story you don't have to have all the scriptures memorized or theology all figured out in order to share what the lord has done for you you just don't you just need to live like you've been rescued that's all and a person who lives like they've been rescued they will be quick to share their story do you hear that that's all I'm asking you to do. Rescue lives, rescue lives. Just live and be released in people's lives. And you may say today, Pastor, let's stand to our feet. You may say, I don't have a story to tell. You know, I don't have a story. Well, this morning, God is going to meet you at this altar, and he is going to begin to write a story of his divine intervention into your situation. Do you hear that? You don't have a story? Guess what? Your story's going to start today. Because there's some people here today that maybe it's salvation that you need. 
you know you need to come to a saving relationship with Jesus there's people here today that maybe it's healing that you need Jessica she found healing in her body Susan found healing in her body Nick is no longer bound in prison he's growing as a husband growing as a as a, a, a minister of the gospel he's growing Sam is in process physically he's in process I don't know what your situation is, but sometimes going into a moment of rescue, we don't know God like we would know him once we're in that middle of that thing. So we welcome the struggle. It's all right. But in the midst of the struggle, God wants to touch you and do a work. And so today, I've invited some some prayer partners to come forward, and we're going to go back into a powerful worship song. And man, listen, if God, if you need a touch from the Lord, Nick, he said, I stand as a testament to God's grace and mercy. Some in this room today, you need a taste of that grace and mercy, and I believe you're going to find it at this altar today. And I want to invite you as we worship to come forward for prayer. Others, you might need healing in your body. Maybe for some, it's a miracle in your marriage. Others, maybe just hope for the future. I just, I just need to know that God knows. That's all. I just need to know that God knows. So today, we have people ready to partner with you in prayer at this altar. We're going to worship, and we're going to press into what God has for us. Amen? So let's just lift our voice to the Lord, and don't hesitate. Listen, don't hesitate. If you have something, let God start your story at this altar today. Come for prayer today. Oh 
For this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.